Founder and artistic director of the Black Iris Project, Jeremy McQueen is an award-winning emerging choreographer, a 2013 recipient of the Joffrey Ballet of Chicago's Choreographers of Color Award and two-time finalist of the Capizio Award for Choreographic Excellence, McQueen's works have appeared at festivals and theaters across the country. Although Jeremy's passion for traditional musical theater began early in his life, he has found a new strength and conviction in using his art form to tell personal stories and to be a beacon for young people whose experiences mirror his own. I guess you could call me a, a choreographic activist, I guess, um, because a lot of my work has to deal with um, very social concepts um, of what's happening in society and the world right now, as well as um, I try to use my work as a mirror so that it can really kind of help people reflect, as well as um, find ways to, to heal and to grow. I'm Nick Kepley, and this is In Step with Broadway Dance Lab, a podcast that explores the practice and process of becoming a choreographer. Join me today for my conversation with Jeremy McQueen. Jeremy, thank you for being with me today. Um, the first question that I always like to ask people is, how did dance find its way into your life? <laughs> um, I feel like dance was always a part of my life, um, just because... My mom and I used to just uh, kind of cook and clean around the house on the weekends, and we would always have music playing. Um, also, family functions, there was always music playing. Sometimes people would be doing the electric slides. So dance was kind of always in my family and in my community. Um, it didn't start to really come into my life in a way that I felt that I could do it as, as a profession until I was about eight years old. Um, my mom took me to see the national tour of the Phantom of the Opera when it came to San Diego. And it just blew me away. I sat on the edge of my seat the entire two and a half hour performance um, with these binoculars glued to my face um, as we sat all the way on the last row of the balcony in the nosebleeds. <laughs> and I just really, everything about it just captivated me from the lights, the costumes, the sets, uh, the music. Um, I, I just wanted to be a part of that experience. I had no idea I could make a living doing that. It was just a really invigorating feeling. Mm. And after you saw that, is that when you asked to start taking classes in dance or? Yes. Um, I, like I said, I, the arts have kind of always been a part of my life just from going to church and even like, you know, singing in the choir. But once I saw that, I was like, I want to do this. And my mom was like, well, this is going to require, you know, training. Mm -hmm. So um, she put me in classes at this organization called San Diego Junior Theater. And um, I took acting voice dance classes and kind of really learned about, you know, what this is, musical theater. Mm -hmm. And had anyone else in your family been artistic? No. Um, my god sister, she played music, she played piano. Um, she didn't really study it or, or work professionally doing that, but um, no. Like, my parents first... They're from Alabama, and they grew up fairly poor, and so access to the arts was not really available to them, aside from what they got at church or what they got at school. Um, and it wasn't until my parents met in college when they were able to kind of be able to afford to go and see shows. And so they had gone and seen uh, the national tour of The Wiz with Stephanie Mills, and they also saw Dance Theater of Harlem's Firebird, and those were two kind of pivotal moments for them that kind of shaped the way um, they lived moving forward because mm -hmm. they were like, wow, when I have a child, I want to expose my child to all the things and all the opportunities that I didn't have. And just, just to see if an appreciation of it would stick. Yeah. Um, and, and you ended up uh, kind of seems like from reading your bio that you ended up focusing 
uh, heavily on concert dance initially. Is that true? Like a classical ballet and no, no, I, okay. I, I pushed ballet far away as okay. far as I could. Okay. Um, I hated tights. I hated wearing a dance belt. Like that. Okay. I liked. I like to do jazz and I like to do tap. Uh-huh. And that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't know about me is that I actually tap. But yeah, um, yeah. So it was always jazz and tap was my first love. And then once I got into middle school, I discovered this thing called ballet. I went to performing arts middle school and high school, and um, there that we learned modern. We had to learn ballet because that was where we. Um, we're taught, you know, the importance of having strong ballet training in order to have a diversified background in, in dance. And so I kind of learned to love it. Um, and there was a dancer named Jeffrey Gerodius who had graduated from my high school that went on to dance in the Ailey Company. And mm-hmm. so he was one of um, the people that my teachers would talk about in terms of making it out of San Diego and turning their dance lives into a career. And mm-hmm. so um, he, as well as a woman named Michelle Kamaya, she was in the National Tour of the Lion King. Um, they kind of propelled me to wanting to pursue dance. But um, concert dance was what I was weakest in, especially ballet. Mm-hmm. So my teachers encouraged me to go to summer intensives and do whatever I could to kind of really strengthen that um, because I really wanted to be a triple threat. I wanted to be just like um, Savion Glover or um, Gregory Hines, Savion Glover, all of those amazing triple threats. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. And then did you go to college? I did. So I went to Boston Conservatory for dance. I hated it. Okay. <laughs> um, I learned. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> my mom, I, I guess instinctively, she knew that I wasn't really going to like it just when she moved me into my dorm and she was like, are you sure you want to go here? Mm. But she knew that I made my decision based on uh, the people before me. So a lot of my friends from San Diego Junior Theater had gone on to Boston Conservatory okay. and then had been successful on Broadway and in national tours. So she knew that I was replicating uh, their journeys, hoping that mine would be the same. But eventually I transferred to a school here in New York called um, Fordham University. And they have a program with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater that gives you your Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance. And um, it was just such a wonderful experience to be here in the city and to, to be a part of the program. But I feel like my experience at Boston was so rewarding because um, it gave me an opportunity to get my feet wet mm-hmm. in terms of East Coast living and being away from home um, because it is so, you know, it's so challenging to live in New York City. It can yeah. be very overwhelming. Had you spent much or any time in New York before you came to Fordham? No. Wow. Um, I, when I was 17, I studied at ABT summer intensive in Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. That was the furthest I had been away from home by myself. Um, that was the summer before my senior year. After mm-hmm. that, I studied um, at Alonzo King Lines Ballet in San Francisco. So I was a little bit closer to home. Mm-hmm. But um, no, before going to Boston Conservatory, I had really never been away from home for wow. that long. And then when you graduated from the Fordham program, did you did you immediately start auditioning for theater shows? Or did you audition for concert dance or both? Or Yeah, so while I was at Ailey Fordham, I realized, you know, I guess I was... Um, uh, one of the reasons why I ended up going to Ailey and one of the reasons why I felt such at home at Ailey was because I was surrounded by so many dancers that looked like me. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, there were a few here and there, but not an abundance. And I felt like at Ailey, there was an abundance of even just teachers that looked like me and that shared somewhat similar experiences. Mm-hmm. But while I was there, I realized that I really didn't want to be a concert dancer. My love and first passion was always musical theater. Mm-hmm. So in my, I think I started in my junior year, I started auditioning. Um, for different shows and I got an agent I ended up being signed with Block 
I think by my senior year and I just was really anxious to just kind of get my face out there because mm-hmm. I knew how long it was going to take to um, to really plant grounds here and to start to book the type of work that I wanted to do. I was in it for the long haul so I said let me just go out here while I'm here use it to my advantage and just get the experience. What do you think it was about theater that that called to you that made you so interested in that? Storytelling through movement as well as voice and acting it was like you know, um, a, a physical motion picture. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I don't even know how else to say that even yeah. more simplistically. Yeah. I just loved the idea of being able to sit in an audience and connect with someone. Mm-hmm. Like as a choreographer, one of my biggest things to hear in an audience is to, I love to hear people breathe. Like mm-hmm. I love to hear that they're going through an experience that we're part of or that we're peering into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that's edited it's something that's literally live and in this moment and that's what I really love about live theater so you ended up doing a couple national tours of uh, Wicked and The Color Purple what was that experience like how did you like touring they were great polar opposites but Mm. they were really really (laughs) great experiences Um, yeah I Wicked was my dream job it was the thing that I wanted to do when I was I want to say in my junior year, and I was debating all kinds of things about a career in dance versus a career at Ailey, and I just was really trying to figure out who I was. I decided to play the lottery to go see Wicked, and I was the first name called, mm. and I called a friend. I was like, we're seeing Wicked tonight. I sat there again on the, well, this time on the front row um, with tears in my eyes, practically the whole show, because I got the same vibrations that I got from Family Opera. Mm. And I was just like, whoa, what is this thing? I want to do this. And it just kind of really propelled me and gave me focus to keep going. And then did you like start aggressively auditioning for the show itself or? Yeah, I did. Um, Like we uh, all have. <laughs> yeah. So it was about, yeah, I always say it was about nine auditions over the course of maybe like three to four years before I got it. But it was, it was, you know, a lot, it was a, mm-hmm, it was a process. Uh-huh. And and you were an ensemble track? I was. Okay. Uh, featured ensemble. So it's this track, uh, this guy comes out in Emerald City and dances with a ribbon. So it's oh, the yeah. ribbon boy track. Yes. That's the one we all want. I <laughs> and it felt that way on tour too. Um, but, but, but yeah. So, but again, um, I feel like all of the experiences that I have had have led me up to being able to handle experiences, other experiences in my life. So, you know, being one of very few um, black students at different ballet schools and um, in musical theater, especially in San Diego, Um, it prepared me for being on the road, you know, every day and only being the only black male in a touring cast of what, 30 with a crew of maybe 20. So yeah. Were there any African-American females? There were, there was one female swing and, uh, one female dancer. Wow. But still in, in comparison, it was just, um, I was conditioned for it. But when I say polar opposites, I had just finished the color purple tour. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, and it was just an abundance of people that looked like me. Right. It was it was a very different experience. Both of them are really great and very enriching and life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just really unique. And I knew that when I was in Color Purple, I said I know that this experience is really rare to be able to be on a stage telling a black story with a cast of really amazing, talented black individuals. It was um, it was really precious. So yeah. both of them are extremely valuable. Yeah, you, you know. It, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but but I would love for you to talk a little bit about what the experience is like 
being in a minority in this in this business, like just in general auditions or you know, any thoughts you have on that, I, I would be yeah. interested to hear. Um, specifically, my last Wicked audition, I remember, I almost didn't go um, because I was kind of over Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also working, I was doing Radio City um, Christmas Spectacular here in the city, and it was my day off, and I was feeling pretty good, you know, with a job, and mm. I didn't want to just go in and face more rejection when I'm <laughs> feeling good. So, um, but I went, and the thing about, this business that made me very frustrated was that there's so many talented African-American male and females, but I can only speak for males. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of them are colleagues and friends of mine. And it is so hard to walk into a room and know that you are competition with them Mm -hmm. for only one or two tracks right so here I am walking into this final callback for Wicked and I'm I'm in a room with like 30 of my peers but in that moment they can't be my peer they're my competitor right and it's just such a really um, uncomfortable weird feeling we should have this warm sense of community and appreciation for one another, but it feels often at times like we're competing to be that token or mm-hmm. we're competing to be that one or two. And um, it gets exhausting. It's yeah. like you, a lot of times, um, producers and choreographers will find their favorites and then they'll keep hiring them naturally. Um, but it makes it harder for other really talented people to come into the room if they're still having this idea of, well, I need to keep my show ethnically diverse, so I need to make sure I have my one black guy, my one Asian guy, my one Latino. It just really makes it so much that much harder for all of us to not even get an opportunity, but to also feel like we have a sense of community amongst one another. It starts to become very, very competitive. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's very complicated, but how do you think that we start to address that? By not having a need to just only hire one. Right. You know, um, right. the thing with Wicked was that I would only get called in for certain callbacks if the Ribbon Boy track was open, mm-hmm. because that was what was known as the Black Boy track. Mm. And um, they would tell my agent, oh, well, he didn't get it this time, or, you know, we liked someone else better. Or it would be like, oh, well, the track that he's right for is not open. I heard that a number of times. And to me, that was so confusing. It's like, why do we have this typecasting of of you know height and weight and all these things why can't it just be the person that we're most moved by in the moment to play this role i mean in the ensemble we don't even have names we create our own characters so right. why does it really matter right i understand you want to show the breadth and of diversity but at the same time it's like i think it we as um as choreographers and directors and producers have to be just open to being inspired by whoever comes in the room mm-hmm. that moves us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Do you feel like different communities of youth see it as a possibility to be a performer more than others? Like, do you think that's part of the issue at all? Like, the, no, no. Um, I would say the accessibility to see people Mm -hmm. in terms of visibility is a lot greater Mm -hmm. because we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. Um, You know, the people that I used to hear about and the people that were my inspirations, I would only hear about them via my teachers or if they were in a newspaper article or in backstage when it was a newspaper and, um, you know, maybe they had a website as I got older. Um, But just the accessibility to even just connect with people. You know, like we have a podcast right now. Right. None of that existed so much a a long time ago. So I think that 
um, the Tony Awards and things like that, they were very helpful for me. Um, I think more people nowadays just have greater access. Um, and to me, access is really what, what propels you to want to do it. So I think, do I think more people might want to be dancers, singers, actors now compared to before? Possibly, but it's really hard to say just because the accessibility is just so much greater. Did you know that Broadway Dance Lab is the only nonprofit of its kind, created for the development and enrichment of choreographers, and dedicated to promote the use of dance in musical theater storytelling? If you believe in our mission and would like to become a donor, please visit broadwaydancelab.org donate. Thank you, and here's to more dancing. So how did you first start moving into choreography? Or is that something that you were always interested in? Or where did that come from? Oh, yeah. Always interested in choreography. Um, going back to my childhood, <laughs> um, I used to lock myself in a room that was about this size. It was about like 16 by 16. And I would put on the Broadway soundtracks that I loved, or if I had just seen a national tour come through, I would put on the soundtrack and I would essentially recreate my own versions of these numbers in my room. Um, and it was, it was so great. I loved it. So, I mean, I used to draw set designs and costume designs. I just, just for fun. Mm. So um, I feel like instinctively I've always loved creating. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when was your first, like, when did you actually start trying, like... To make a piece. Yeah, to make a piece. In college, uh, as part of your senior project in uh, Dance at Ailey, you have to choreograph a, a piece. And so I created this piece called Incandescent Paths, which was um, basically the story of a person trying to find their way in the midst of a big, bustling city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically my college story. Um, you know, me trying to emulate other people's journeys or to follow them, thinking that it's going to get me closer to where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I had to realize that I just have to kind of follow down my own path and that the places where I'm supposed to go and where I'm meant to be will be just for me. Um, and so that happened senior year of, of, of college. And that piece was the first piece that really propelled me into um my career as a choreographer professionally. Um, I submitted that piece to the American Dance Guild Festival as well as a number of other festivals in the city. And surprisingly, they wanted me to present my work. So I started presenting my work out of college. Um, Usually people would request that piece. Um, and I was very like itchy to grow. And so I was like, can I, can I please make something different? Can someone else give me an opportunity? But I said, you know what, until that time comes, I, I, I'm honored and I'm going to continue to present this work. One of the things, and maybe you still feel this way, and it's a lot of why we wanted to make BDL, but I remember feeling when I first started choreographing, like every opportunity that I got, because they were so few and far between, I had to make like the best thing I'd ever made in my life. <laughs> yes. You know, it was like a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we talk about that a little bit. About, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially on the scale of just presenting work in New York City. Um, amidst so many amazing, talented choreographers. Every time I put something on stage, it had to be pristine. I was so, I'm I'm just a very much uh, OCD kind of detail-oriented choreographer anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of blame and thank Radio City for that. But but, um, but yeah, I mean, every time you put your name out there is an opportunity for you to not only define uh, your stamp on who you are and kind of present yourself, but it's an opportunity for you to get better. And so I always wanted to make sure that I was using, 
um, my tools and my money very wisely mm-hmm. um, because it's so expensive to present and you know to costume and then eventually pay dancers. It's it's a lot. So you always want to make sure you're putting your your best foot forward and not just wasting money and time. Right. How did you approach the process of starting to? kind of tell the world that you are a choreographer? Did you start sent just sending your stuff out to as many theater companies as you could? Or, <laughs> you know, did you talk, get an agent? Or how did you approach that? Yeah, I knocked on doors. And I still continue to do that. I still don't have an agent for my choreography or, or anything of that nature. I have an agent for, for acting. But in terms of choreography, it was literally presenting myself at festivals. Um, I would take the videos that I would get from those festivals and I would just, I created a reel and I would ship out that reel to other people, presenters around the city and other, you know, notices that I saw in backstage or dance magazine. And I really just knocked on doors. I introduced myself to people and I just, I knew that it was going to be, um, I feel like my my journey thus far has always been one that I've had to really um, be vigilant and steadfast in my goals and my convictions and who I am and just kind of putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And so I I just always was that way. I would always, um, you know, if I saw someone, I would, when I was in college, I used to study producers and choreographers so that if I ran into someone, I would know their name (laughs) and I would have my Oprah 30 second elevator pitch ready. Mm-hmm. And so if I would see someone come to a festival or out in a street or whatever, I would, you know, use my elevator pitch as a, an opening to asking for their card. And so then I would email them. I added them to my e-blast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that e-blasting was really great too, because it reminded people of, oh, Jeremy McQueen, he's choreographing or, oh, this is what he just did. I can look at his review or his work. And that helps me get more work. So mm-hmm. have you officially retired from performing? <laughs> Um, I'm going to say no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A a common theme on this program often is that, that difficulty of that transition moment, you know, because you're like, I still need a paycheck, so I'm still dancing, but am I less like legitimate as a choreographer if I'm not like officially fully into that or, you know, like, gosh, I wish the issue of, uh, of turning down jobs was an option. (laughs) Right. Um, the biggest thing for me is that. Um, I love creating the work. I don't necessarily, I love being the change that I wish to see in the world. Um, You know, there's been a lot of change in our industry over the past few years, and especially in the country in this past year. And it's brought up some um, issues within immigration, as well as, um, you know, rights and silencing of certain people's voices. Um, And so, or now amplifying voices. And so for me, I feel very... um, privilege to be able to have a seat at the table in a sense to be able to kind of help shape um, the dance world that I want to be a part of and Mm -hmm. that I envision moving forward Um, some of the politics of being a performer I don't miss and some of the you know like the competitiveness I don't really miss that a lot Um, Mm -hmm. it's just a really fulfilling experience to be able to see your own baby come to life on a stage and to be able to shape and see dancers grow through your you're nurturing. It's so I wouldn't say I'm officially done with performing. If the right opportunity that I'm interested in comes along, I would love to. Um, but it's a huge sacrifice to essentially invest in establishing a career in New York City. Yeah. Do you ever perform your own work? <laughs> yeah. A you lot. do. You do. A lot. How yeah. do you feel about doing that? Um, I, you know, I really, it was a necessary evil 
because a lot of times, especially before I could pay dancers, sometimes people would get injured or they would get paying jobs and things like that. So things would happen and I would have to step in and I would gladly do so. And I normally was ready and physically able to do that. Um, but it's it's kind of hard when you're in the developmental process because then you can't really step away from the work and look at it. Mm-hmm. So as much as I can, I try to develop the work with bodies and keep in mind that I need to understudy and essentially swing my own piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's fun. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> sometimes. Um, I want to read uh, this quote that I found on your, it looks like your new website is kind of under construction, but this is on the front page. And I really like this quote a lot. It says, Jeremy McQueen is an award-winning emerging choreographer dedicated to storytelling, rooted in experience and social engagement. His work aims to create spaces of comfort, solace, and connection through reflection, a sharing of observations of what is going on around him. So will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. When I started really looking at what my work is um, and what it's inspired by, it's inspired by my life. It's essentially um, my life through my eyes or through my experience. Um, My mother in 2012 was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, it kind of turned my world around, but I decided that I needed to use my outlet, the arts, to be able to help myself get through this process and to understand what this meant and how I could support her and support myself um, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I created a ballet that was inspired very much by her and her experience um, of just being a really strong black woman, being grounded and, and teaching me and instilling so much in me as a person. So um, it's not that my works are necessarily always uh, nonfiction, like they're not exactly my life and my journey, but I, you know, even if it's just me walking down the street, I was chatting with a friend earlier today, I was really inspired when I went to Solange's concert at Radio City Music Hall. And it wasn't even, I mean, she's just a naturally inspiring person listening to her on stage and watching her perform. She's a powerhouse. But I was even just inspired by people's outfits and what they were doing and their engagement, how engaged they were with the work that she was presenting and whatnot. So, Mm -hmm. and that sparked me to create another work that's in development right now. So, um, yeah, just kind of, I guess you could call me a a choreographic activist, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. because... A lot of my work has to deal with um, very social concepts um, of what's happening in society and the world right now, as well as um, I try to use my work as a mirror so that it can really kind of help people reflect, as well as um, find ways to to heal and to grow or mm-hmm. provoke change. And that leads me to the, your Black Iris Project, um, which you founded in 2016, um, which creates original ballets and arts education curriculum that addresses uh and celebrates diversity. Will you talk about that project a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So Black Iris Project has been something that I've wanted to create since 2012. Okay. um, When my mom was diagnosed. Um, But I just, she was an educator for 40 years in a public school system in San Diego. And I really just learned from her the importance of um, catering to different audiences. In terms of um, my mom had to teach herself uh, 
we had floppy disk drives. Mm -hmm. My mom had to teach herself what the internet was. She had to teach herself how to use a MacBook. And, you know, like she's, as teachers, they continue to evolve in order to help push culture forward. And so that's what I was really inspired by in order to create this collaborative. Um, We often see on stage ballet narratives that are rooted in European history. So we know of Cinderella, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, et cetera, and so forth. Um, and when I was teaching for American Ballet Theater in their, um, their outreach department, I was teaching in very much minority schools or um, schools that were catered or um, heavily, they were heavily um, black and Latino students. And we had the opportunity to take these students to the Met to see a production by ABT. And for about the first 20 minutes, they were super engaged and excited. And then after a while, it was like people were asking to leave early. People were falling asleep. Mm. And I was a little distraught because here I am taking people from New York City to the world-famous Metropolitan Opera House, thinking that they're going to have the same experience as I did when I was eight years old seeing Family Opera. And it was not that. And so I kind of wondered what the disconnect was and how this could change. Misty was not on stage that day. Um, So I felt in a big way that they didn't connect with the ballet because they didn't see anyone that looked like them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't see how the story also connected with them. Oddly, um, or ironically enough, rather, the story was Othello. Mm. but there wasn't a dark-skinned man right. on stage playing Othello, so they didn't understand the dynamics mm-hmm. of the relationship. Um, and so that's kind of what led me to, to build the Black Iris Project, to kind of diversify the types of stories that we tell through classical ballet instead of making it a modern work like Revelations and how iconic it is. Why can't we have a Revelations of sort, but in a ballet fashion right and so just talk about the project itself you tour with this or you and you do you have one show that you tour or what how does it work yeah so the first ballet that I made was Black Iris in 2013 it premiered with um, the Joffrey Ballet or Joffrey Academy of Dance in Chicago and from there that inspired this idea of bringing black artists together to create new stories rooted in black history or the black experience Um, the first big ballet that we made it from that we made from scratch was a story of Nelson Mandela's life called Madiba Mm -hmm. and it kind of traces his entire life um, and the really big key pivotal moments that made him so iconic and um, revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So essentially we are a summer ballet-based collaborative that brings professional dancers of all races together um, typically during the summer to create these new works and then we go and perform them. We've had the opportunity to perform at the Kennedy Center last spring. Um, We have some opportunities this summer coming up that I can't talk about yet but (laughs) Nelson Mandela is turning 100 years old in July 2018 so each year as part of our initiative for me it's an opportunity for us to create a new ballet Mm -hmm. Um, and so we have a new one that'll premiere this summer and are you a 501c3 with that or are fiscally sponsored through New York Live Arts okay I just bring that up because if anyone out there in Radio Land is thinking about starting their own company i'm sure you have some advice and some thoughts on that as as do i (laughs) fiscal sponsorship to me is the way to go right um especially when you're starting um i've been fiscally sponsored for a a number of years before i started black iris project just doing my work independently as a choreographer Um, having fiscal sponsorship gives you the ability to sometimes you know get cheaper studio space and the biggest aspect of that is that your donations um they become tax deductible. So if you know mom and dad or aunt and uncle want to make a donation to you, they make it through the organization, and then your project um, gets 
funding with, you know, a percent of it going to the, the host organization. But it, it really becomes a really great tool, especially for applying for for grants and opportunities to connect with other artists and to, to learn more in terms of a workshop setting of, you know, um, tools of the trade and how you can get better at, at creating um, a business. It's mm-hmm. been very helpful. You can learn more about the choreographers featured on this program and access our archives by visiting broadwaydancelab.org. InStep will be right back. So I want to talk a little bit more specifically about your process. Um, This is something I'm always interested in. It's a little hard to express this question, but like when you look back at at that college piece that you made, the first sort of professional piece versus how you work now, you know, what, in what ways has your process evolved over the years? Like how did you used to work differently than you work now? What have you learned? I would say I started my process before generally with music. The music was generally the thing that came first. The music would then spark an idea, or um, I do a lot of writing, so sometimes um, I would kind of find music that inspired um, me to think about certain things that I had written about. Mm. Um, Now, um, especially with the Black Iris Project, seeing that my work is very much um, storytelling through movement, I hired a playwright to bring onto my team mm. to kind of help me craft a story. So the music still came first. Um, it's a Stravinsky's Rite of Spring that we're working with this summer. But um, the story is really important to me, understanding what the development of these characters are mm-hmm. um, before getting into the studio. And I think that's very much a musical theater way of thinking mm-hmm. about dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's because of all of the musicals that I've done, but you normally, you know, you're presented with the script first right? and you have the music first and you already know how the story is going to end. So you create movement that's going to help carry that story through. And so that's, that's kind of always been my approach to creating work. Yeah. And I found, I don't know how you feel. I found that that narrative can be so helpful, like versus just abstract dance. You know, I, for a long time, I, I tried to kind of live in that concert dance world and mm-hmm. make these abstract things and, you know, interesting shapes and whatever, which is fine and lovely. But uh, then a couple of years ago, I did a piece based on the Crucible for Ballet Austin. And wow. it was really the first time that I had like drawn so heavily in dan- in pure dance from a narrative like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going back. <laughs> I mean, it was so helpful, you know? Like, it is. Yeah. I actually just got off a call with our playwright. We just finished today the entire book of our musical. Wow. And, or our, our musical, our, of our dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a sense, it really, like what you said, it, Stravinsky's music that we're working with, it's 25 minutes long. That was extremely overwhelming to me to say, okay, what am I saying? I know what the concept is, but how am I telling this story for 25 minutes? So to, like you said, to go by scene by scene by scene and say, this is the motive, this is the emotion, this is how this carries to this longer, big idea that we want to present at the end. Mm-hmm. It's, I, yeah, I'm like you, I'm not going back. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Um, what's been one of your, your biggest challenges in, in your choreographic experience? Like, is there a project that comes to mind? or <laughs> The Black Iris Project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, the money. I mean, we live in New York City. There's 
hundreds of thousands of people that do what you do as a dancer, as a choreographer, as an educator. You know, it's really the funding that becomes the hardest thing for me. I, I love making work. I have so many ideas in my journal of, of things that I want to make but it's like I never have enough money. So I strive myself um, to find creative ways to, to you know, expand upon ideas without a Broadway budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you still have to pay your dancers. You still have to, you know, and that's that can become really challenging in a city like New York. It's full of opportunities, but at the same time, um, it... M- things are very expensive between studio space and theaters and things of that nature. Right. And then conversely, is there a moment in your career thus far that you felt like you really got something right? You got a project really right, or you're really proud of the way you made this dance or the black iris project. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, we, we had a week at the Kennedy center and I actually presented two works that week. Um, I presented, we, the Kennedy center commissioned me to create a new work for uh, American Valley Theater's JKO School. And that was an amazing experience. Just to be at the Kennedy Center, it was, um, I was like, how did I, how did I get here? How, how did this happen? Um, have you had any, any mentors along the way? That Absolutely. Who have been some of your mentors? The first and foremost was Donald Robinson. Um, he was that ballet teacher that I really, we fought tooth and nail almost every day in the seventh grade when he was telling me I had to wear tights and a dance belt and stand at a bar. I mean, I just really resented him at the time. <laughs> I did not understand it, but he gave me so many tools and quotes and tips and things that I continue to remember and utilize in my life on a daily. So mm. um, Kazuko Hirabayashi was my, my choreographic mom. Um, she's notorious for being tough as nails and being a really really tough critic. Um, she danced in the Martha Graham Company for a long time, a veteran teacher at Juilliard, as well as SUNY Purchase and Ailey, and um, just well-respected in the community for for really wonderful teaching and mentoring. Um, she was very pivotal in in telling me to use my life and to use my, my experiences as um, in my work because mm-hmm. she saw the things that I was going through at Ailey. She saw how I was really having an identity crisis. I was having a weight crisis. There were so many things, and she was just like, you need to put it in your art. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was one. Christopher Davis, um, Broadway legend, dancer, uh, former producer with Dancers Responding to AIDS. He also was very instrumental. And a new mentor in my life, Phil Chan. Um, I received a really incredible fellowship from Pinnacle, which is called the... Uh, administrative um, resource team, kind of art fellowship. Um, and it's a opportunity for two years to essentially have a mentor and to have a, an administrative assistant to kind of help me take the burden and the load off of all the things that I do in a day. So it's been really wonderful to have um, a set of ears to, to be able to bounce off my ideas and, and be able to turn some of my dreams into a reality through other the help of other hands. Yeah, that's great. So it's interesting because we talked about your love of theater over dance, concert dance, but it sounds as if your choreographic career has gone <laughs> a little bit more in that direction. So are you, are you interested in doing, like have you, have you choreographed any full musicals? I did. I choreographed you, okay. Hair okay. for Skylight Music Theater okay. back in like 2013, 14. Um, it was such an amazing experience. Um, 
for me, I'm totally open to it. I think it's part of it is just building those connections and again, knocking on those doors and putting myself out there. Right. Um, concert dance and theater are two different realms in terms of producers and presenters. So mm-hmm. um, with Black Irish Project, I've been knocking so heavily on the concert dance side of things. But yeah. I definitely, you know, that's a huge goal of mine is to absolutely choreograph a Broadway musical on Broadway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I was going to ask you, uh, what some dream projects of yours might be. Are there any like specific shows that you would love to, to tackle one day or. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no one's asked me that in a really long time, <laughs> but normally I would be able to say a number of things at the drop of a dime. Yeah. Who, I someone mean, I asked one time, they were like, Oh yeah, you're always supposed to know like your, your top three shows that you want to do. I was like, you are. <laughs> well, I used to know what shows I wanted to be in. Oh, right. But right. now it's like, I get to create it. Uh-huh. It's like, Oh wow. It's a whole nother realm. Um, you know, I don't know. I really love, um, you know, kiss me. Kate. I love guys and dolls. I love um, my one and only me and my girl. Like there's, I love the classic Broadway, musicals mm-hmm. um but i also really love the contemporary stuff i'd love to do spring awakening i'd love to do i mean there's just so much i don't know yeah i'm this is a little off topic but i'm just personally so curious what is going to happen with those classic shows that that view women in a certain way like in, oh, yeah. in our society today as as me too moves forward like Absolutely. even with carousel coming up i'm even i'm like how do you how do you even watch carousel right now you know like which who i mean i i'll have to see how they handle it but yeah, it's just an interesting time with those old shows that view, st- you know, showgirls in a certain manner. It's going to deepen the experience and the opportunity for people to be educated about w- our history. Um, I didn't see The Honeymooners, but I heard about it. But I heard that there were a number of really uncomfortable moments mm. um, because it's really reflective of that time period. Right. And how men and women, I guess, kind of... Uh, existed together in a relationship Mm -hmm. and so i'm not sure if it is coming to broadway but i think having broadway musicals like this um you know they're part of our history we really can't get rid of them right i think that they're going to be even more of a mirror um for how we create new musicals and Mm -hmm. i hope that it births new ideas of um of what can come yeah well what advice would you give to an aspiring choreographer uh today I would say give yourself time. I think because New York especially is a very hustle and bustle kind of city, um, the momentum of the city pushes you sometimes a little bit further than you might be ready to go Mm. or that you need to go. Um, And so with that being said, I wanted a lot of things really young that I hadn't really put in the time or um, I really hadn't honed my craft enough to receive those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing for me is I never wanted to be a one hit wonder. I think a lot of people want success and fame and notoriety and they want these things so quickly. They want you know, that K number next to their followers and all of these things that don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just really take your time to hone your craft continue to believe in yourself but take your time give yourself a little grace give yourself a break you know like Mm -hmm. I think at 23 I wanted to take over the world (laughs) right (laughs) and then as I'm 31 almost 32 I'm like wow 
he really just needed to chill out. He was doing good, but it's just like sometimes I created my own stress and frustration with my expectations of where I should be. Yeah, the city does it to you. I mean, it's it's good and bad. Like, yeah. Um, well, the last question that I always ask is, why do you think that we need to have dance in our lives? I think that we need dance in our lives because it just gives us a release. It gives us an opportunity to do something that really allows us to be creative, to express ourselves, to be individual, even though in certain dance forms you really don't get to do that. But even still, within the confines of classical ballet, I still felt rejuvenated being able to express myself through um, you know, drawing up to my retiré or doing my tendu. There was a bit of artistry and, and beauty in all of it that I really, really loved. And for a normal person that doesn't really do an artistic... Um, you know, dancing, singing, acting, or anything of that nature artistic, I think it just really provides you an opportunity to release, to to do something different, to explore, to create. And I think that that's really beautiful. I think we need that balance. I think we're always very focused on, you know, work naturally. Um, but for the, non, the non-artist, I think it can really be rejuvenating. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. And it's I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what happens <laughs> next for you. Oh, thank you so much. Instep is produced by Broadway Dance Lab and recorded, edited, and hosted by Nick Kepley. Be sure to follow us on social media using the handle at Bway Dance Lab and visit our website, broadwaydancelab.org.